want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. All right, you got Philippians chapter 2. It's, it's good to bring you your own Bible. You need to see it. Uh, you need to, if you can do it, get you a pen. You need to write things in there that the Lord shows you. And um, I'm just... In my heart over and I'm convinced we need to get back to God's word more and more in our land and in our personal lives. All righty. I want to pray. I want to pray before we begin tonight. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We give you all the praise and glory as we just sang to adore you. I want to pray over us and over those watching as we move into this time of the year where we begin to celebrate Christmas. And I pray for this season of the year as we get all caught up in the great things of the lights and the parties, that this year we would never lose the contemplation that the creator of this universe humbled himself and stepped down. Into that feed trough. So ultimately you could sacrifice your life so we could live. Thank you for the great times we have, but I pray for every person that it be a fresh and a new, like the first time they ever heard it, that God would step down to earth and do this for me. I pray that we never be around the truth of the gospel and the goodness of God, the love of God, that it becomes old news to us. Only by your spirit can you keep it alive and fresh. So I pray for folks this year, as we go through this season, that we'll just, that in our hearts, we'll just, We'll live stunned that you would do this for us. We'll always live in the amazement of the kindness of God and what you came to do Christmas and we celebrate it and we want to live this whole season in the, in the laughter and the gift giving and all those things. We'll live this whole season in our hearts saying, oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord and praise you and worship you. And I pray this be an unusual Christmas season for people where we just, by your spirit, by your spirit, we're just, just amazed at the goodness of the Lord for us. And I pray for every person that more than just hearing it in their ear, they would experience it in their hearts, the love of God displayed at Christmas and all of our lives. And until the day we see you face to face, we'll, I just pray we will never get over. Jesus loves me. This I know that'll always be the song of our hearts. I trust you for that. And what a great season we're going to have this year, celebrating Jesus come to earth for us. We give you all the praise and glory. The precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter two, that I love this passage so much, so dear to me because it reveals uh, the beauty of Christ like few places in the Bible. And in the little few verses we're going to look at tonight, God Almighty just opens his window into truth and he shows you and I the secret to the greatest life possible. Everybody I know everywhere is looking to have a good life, a better life, a great life, whatever you want to call it. It's in this passage tonight. It is, it is so simple yet so hidden. And so I've prayed for you today that the eyes of our hearts would be open and he would show us something so we could then apply it and say, He's given me everything my heart ever desired. This passage, we talk tonight about the mind of Christ. This is that great passage where it talks about having the mind of Christ. And uh, it, we're going to begin in verse five. 
where the scripture says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So I know you know this, but I'm going to repeat it. You can be saved. And if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Very God himself lives inside of you. Now, dear ones, the Holy Spirit's name is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, that's not his name. His name is God, the Father. Father is what he does. Jesus' name is God, the Son. Well, the Holy Spirit's name is God, the Spirit. And that very God lives inside. If you're born again, he lives right inside of here. And you can have the Spirit of God inside of you but not yet have the mind of Christ to live. Can you see it? Why would he say, let this mind be in you? And he's writing this to believers. Why would he say, you need to do something to let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus? Well, I got, I got the Holy Spirit the day I was born again. God moved in my heart the day I was born again. But the mind you have to renew, it has to come and he has to help you with it. So we're going to talk tonight about believers, how that we have the mind of Christ, how it comes to us and how we, we receive it. I, you don't... Uh, you have to desire it and you will when you see this, but you have to receive the mind of Christ. He has to work this into our lives. I want us to see this in scripture. Now, let me ask you this. What, what, when the Bible says, I want you to have this, I want you to have the mind of Christ. Well, what is the mind of Christ? It is a heart attitude. And out of that heart attitude about life and the way you live, everything you like, everything flows out. Guard your heart because everything flows out of your heart. But let, let me, uh, we're going to look in the scripture. And he takes a couple of verses and he describes what is the mind of Christ or the attitude that Jesus had. You could also say this. I want you to live with the same attitude Jesus lived with. I want you to live like Jesus lived. And he describes it beginning in verse six. Let's read verse five again. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Let me pause here. This is one of the most difficult uh, passages in the Bible to translate from the original Greek to English. And some Bibles don't do a very good job. So we're going to have to work it. We're going to have to work at this a little bit tonight to get it. He said, let this man be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Let me, let me just quote it to you from some other translations. Let this man be in you who was also in Christ Jesus, who being very God himself did not demand the right to be treated like God. Let this mind be in you. You have this attitude that Jesus had, who being very God, you do understand that Jesus was very God. That the, when he came down to this earth, he walked on the earth. The Bible said everything was created by him and for him. He was very God. And, but the Bible said when he came to earth, he didn't want to be treated like God. Another translation says this, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who, although he was God almighty, did not demand the rights that God could have demanded. So another translation says this, he gave up his rights. So I want you to have that attitude, have the attitude that Jesus had. Although he was God almighty, he didn't demand that people treat him like God. All right, let's read the next verse. Verse seven says this, <clears throat> he made himself of no reputation. How many people do you know like that? They're working hard to make themselves of no reputation. Let me read it to you. As a matter of fact, here's the cross reference to that. <clears throat> He emptied himself of his privileges. Let me read it from another translation. He laid aside all of his rights and privileges. So I want you to put those two verses together, verses six and seven so far. Jesus Christ was God Almighty who came down to the earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God walking in the earth. 
but he did not demand that people treat him like God. And he laid aside all of his divine privileges. And then it goes on to say this in verse seven, he took the form of a servant. See the word took, put the word chosen there. Uh, You are God almighty. You created the universe. You hold the stars in space and you decide to step down to the earth that you created. How are you going to come? I mean, are you going to come with your <clears throat> royal robe and your robes and your crown? Are you going to come with the seraphim around you? How are you going to step down to the earth? Well, God Almighty steps down to the earth and the Bible said he, he laid aside the image of God. He, he didn't walk on this earth as God Almighty. To me and you seeing him like that. He laid aside those privileges. He laid aside his rights. If you were God Almighty, would you choose to come and be a, a, a scholar, a sage, a king, a, a, a wealthy man? What, what's the one thing you'd pick? So if I could be anything I wanted to be. Well, let me tell you, there's only one person that can be anything they want to be. Who's that? The creator. What did he choose to be when he stepped down to this earth? A ruler? A, a thinker? What did it say? Who chose to be a bond servant. How many people do you know that if they had their choices, they'd go up instead of down? Well, what's, what's the very message right here? I want you to have this attitude, this mind that's in Christ, who was the only person in the universe who could be anything he wanted to be, but he chose to go all the way down. He, he laid aside the divine. He could have come to this earth and revealed himself for God Almighty and the whole world would have fallen down and worshiped him. He laid that aside. What did he come as? What did he choose to, how did he choose to live on this earth? A servant. He came to serve and, and to be a servant to humanity. And dear ones, let me, let me tell you what this is. This is the mind of Christ. The heart of Christ is, I don't want people waiting on me hand and foot. I don't want people applauding over me. I want to serve people. That's the very heart of Christ. That's why it says, let this mind be in you. You adopt the mind of Christ who was God Almighty. The whole world should have bowed down to him. But instead of coming down and sitting on a throne as God, he came as the son of man, as the book of Mark called. He came as a servant. Don't you think that's strange? Most people that I know on this planet are trying to go, live a notch above who they really are. What, what is it about fallen human nature? Do we want to go up or down? Up, up. I mean, everybody wants to up, whatever that is. But the only person who's all the way at the top, he chose to go, let this attitude be in you. Let this man be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who although he could have demanded to be worshiped, said, no, let me serve you. I don't want you to turn with me to an amazing passage that reveals this in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Here's another picture. I can never receive the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ until I really see it. So that's what the Word of God and the Spirit of God are for, to show me uh, who He is. While while you're turning, I want to contrast. Jesus has an attitude. And the attitude of Jesus is, though I created the universe, I serve people. That's the heart of Christ. That's His attitude. There's another God in this planet. His name's Satan. He is a created being. Is His attitude to serve? He desires to be exalted and be worshipped. He, listen, Satan doesn't want to go down like Jesus does. Where does Satan want to go? He wants to go up. Let me quote from Isaiah. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will rule. That's his attitude. 
Which one of those two attitudes, the desire to go down and serve or the desire to rise up and be above everybody, which one of those two attitudes has, uh, what's the word, infected humanity, fallen humanity? I don't want you to look with me in John 13. This is one of the most, uh, this is the second most amazing passage in the Bible to me, except for the cross. In John chapter 13, you're at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He served for three years. Chapter 14 is where he gives his last teaching and then he's arrested. So here he is. And he's, this is what we call the last supper. You ever heard of the last supper? That's John chapter 13. And watch what he does at the supper. Um, Verse two, supper being ended. Verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, he'd come from God and was going to God. Listen, Jesus knew that he was going to God. He knew he was about to die. That's why he gave this next teaching. He said, I'm going to leave you, but I'll send the Holy Spirit to help you. He arose from supper, verse four, laid aside his garments and took a towel and wrapped it around himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. What's the last thing you'd do right before you were killed? You know, we, we give a last meal to folks on death row. Jesus is fixing to die right here. And the last thing he does at the last supper is when he gets done eating, he, now he's got his disciples, they're all here. He gets up and takes off. You know, he wore a white teaching robe with a blue uh, trim around it, which designated him as a rabbi. He lays out aside, he wraps a towel around himself and he takes this bucket of water. Now this is not a religious observance. This, people did this back then because you walked in sandals on dirt roads, your feet were dirty. And it was the host's responsibility in any home if you came for dinner. It was their responsibility to have a servant wash, just wash everybody's feet. They'd, they'd just take the water, wash the dust off your feet, take a towel and dry it. And your feet were clean, you were refreshed. This, this happened in every home anytime you had a nice meal like this. But whose job was it to do it? The homeowner didn't do it. The host didn't do it. Whose job was it to do it? Not just the servant. Which servant? Lowest man on the totem pole. The lowest servant's response, you know, some servants got to cook, some got to serve, but the lowest servant's job was to wash every guest's feet, keep them clean for them. So the Bible said Jesus picked up that bowl and went and washed their feet himself. And uh, he came to Simon, verse six, and Simon said, Lord, are, are you washing my feet? Simon's struggling with this. You remember a little earlier, Simon had already confessed that he, he'd already been shown this. You're, you're standing beside God. You are the Christ. You're the son of God. And now God's going to get down and wash my feet. And Simon sort of struggles with this thing. Of course, he goes on a little bit. And Jesus, verse seven, answered and said, what I am doing, you do not understand. You don't get it right now, but you're fixing to get it. Verse 12, he washed their feet, took his garments, sat down again and said, do you understand what I just did for you? Jesus said, do you know what just happened in this room right here? Do you understand what just went on here? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, you say, well, I am. You say that I'm the Lord of the universe. And he said, I am the Lord of the universe. If I then have washed your, uh, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, did, did Jesus do this? Like hold his nose and do it to get them to do right? No, no. This is the heart of God. You're looking at God in a, this passage is a clearer look at the heart of God than any place in the Bible with the exception of the cross. Jesus didn't do this because he had to. You know why he did it? This is his heart. This is what he's like. You say, it doesn't make sense to me that the creator of the universe who has 10,000 angels bowing down to him, that, that he, if he could do anything he could, he'd get down and wash somebody's dirty feet. Welcome to the mind of Christ. 
that let this mind be in you, listen to this, that was in Christ Jesus, who although he was God Almighty, his attitude was, I want to serve people. I want to help people. And uh, this is the very heart of Christ. This is a great revelation of the heart of Christ. And he said, uh, <clears throat> I've given you an example. I want you to do what I've done for you. Now, this is one of the greatest Dear ones, with all the uppity, deep theological teaching we have, this is the greatest lesson for disciples right here. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Serve people. That's it. This is the whole, this one passage right here teaches all there is to know about discipleship. You know, you know what the word disciple means? A disciple is somebody who has found a person and you're so enamored with them that you want to spend your life learning from them so you can be like them. Every man when he is perfectly trained will be just like his master. Every disciple, the goal of a disciple is to be like his master. Well, there's not a greater picture of Jesus in the Bible than right here, where <clears throat> although he was the creator of the universe, what was in his heart? Y'all worship me. Y'all bring me something to eat. Y'all wait on me. What was in his heart? I'll take the lowest job and I'll be the servant. This just stands every other world religion on its head, doesn't it? Because every other world religion wants what? They want to be up. They want you to worship them. In every other world religion, you die for their leader. In this, this faith, your leader dies for you. It's the difference. But this is the heart of Christ. He, he didn't do it because he had to. He did it because it was his nature. Listen, you, different people have just got different things. That's their nature. You know, if you turn my wife loose, she'll go plant flowers. You turn me loose, I'm going fishing. You turn Jesus loose, he's going to find somebody to serve. This is the very heart of God is to serve people. It doesn't make sense, does it? that almighty God who creates thunder rules the universe wants to serve people. Because normally the, the y'all know the order, you know the order, the lower serves the upper, don't they? Well, you don't get no upper than Jesus. But in this kingdom, the upper serves the lower. And uh, he goes on to say this. I want to point something out to you. Most assuredly, you say, verse 16, I want you to look at something. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. How many of you would agree with that? Is that complicated to y'all? Well, let's just ask the question. Are you greater than God? What's the answer? Jesus said this, a servant's not greater than his master. I'm not greater than God. He who is sent is not greater than he who sent him. Dear ones, <clears throat> I don't care about your education. Don't tell me where you went to school. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me about your spiritual gifts. I don't want to hear them. Don't tell me about Show me your heart. Show me your heart. What, what, what did Jesus say right there? He said, uh, you're not greater than me, are you? What's he saying? If I can do people like this, you can do people like this. A person who, listen to this. Is this crazy or what? A person who says, I ain't serving nobody. I want people to serve me. You're making yourself greater than God. A disciple is not above his master. Uh, one of the things that just grieves me is the attitude that's come in the ministry in America these days. That the ministers want to be kings. They want to be treated like royalty. You know, they can't pick up the trash. They can't, we'll get, we'll get a peon to do that. I know ministers that have, that make people carry their Bibles around for them. I carry my own Bible. What, where'd this come from? This is not the mind of Christ. I had a, years ago in a church, never this one, one of my associates, he said, I want, I want to have this guy come to our church and minister. I said, well, all right, I'll trust you. Dumb thing to do. 
And I said, go ahead. And I got a letter from this guy. He sent the letter to me, said, here, before I come, here's what I expect you to do. I want such and such hotel room at this level. I expect you to have Perrier water in the refrigerator when I get there. I expect there to be fresh fruit on the counter when I get there. I want you to have that there for me. And I expect such and such a car, at least this level car to drive, rent it for me and just have it there. I mean, Jesus rides on a donkey, but preacher's got to have a Lincoln. So I sent him a letter back and said, contract canceled. What's this attitude that I want to be treated better than God was? It's infiltrate the American mentality of I want to be a star has even infiltrated the ministry now. Listen, if God Almighty can wash somebody's feet, guess who else can? Listen, you know what we got to do in this land? Instead of being superstars, we got to get back to being like the bright morning star. Humble ourselves. What in the world's happened in churches today where people want to rule instead of serving? All right, he goes on to say this. Watch this. I've given you an example. Verse 17. Now watch this right here. If you know these things, blessed are you if you go out Thursday and do them. Go out Friday and do them and adopt them as a lifestyle. You see the word blessed right there? That's the word makarios. Somebody tell me the other translation for the word makarios. Somebody know it? Happy. Happy are you if you do these things. Is this crazy or what? Do you realize in that passage right there in that verse, God Almighty just gave you the secret to true happiness in life. He said, no, no, Brother Brian, if I get promoted and I become the CEO of my company and I get that corner office, that'll really make me happy. No, it won't. It'd put more pressure on you, it'd drive you nuts. If I could just get this nice job, I'd be happy. If I could just get a new mate, I'd be happy. What did Jesus say? You want to be happy? Go find somebody to serve. You, you want to be happy? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to serve people. And Jesus said, listen, if you know that, what's the two things you have to do to be happy? You have to know what it takes and then you have to do it. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you when you practice them. He said, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Bingo. Amen. Does it, let me ask you a question. Just because it doesn't make sense, does that mean it won't work? Sure, it'll work. And Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you that you do. Let me throw a little wrench in here for you. All right, Jesus does this for his disciples. I mean, these are his apostles. Can I ask you a question? Was Judas in the mix? You're sure? Now remember, Jesus, Judas got up and left that supper. If you take all four gospels and you amalgamate them, you put them together and you follow the chronological timeline, Jesus got, there was a time when Judas got up and left that supper because Jesus said to him, what you do, go do quickly. So Judas got up and left. But was Jesus, was Judas still there at this time? He was. He was sitting right there. <clears throat> Did Jesus wash Judas' feet? We all think. You know, we call that, was that the mind of Christ? That he would wash even his enemy's feet? See if you know the chronology on this. Do you remember? Judas had cut a deal with the chief priest. The Bible said Judas went to them and said, how much will you give me to betray him to you? And they counted him out, 30 pieces of silver. And he looked for an opportune time. What he was looking for was a time to get Jesus away from the crowds and signal for them to come grab him when the crowds weren't around. Because even the soldiers were scared of the crowds because they loved Jesus. So Judas' job was to be close to Jesus and, and find a time when he could sort of get Jesus away from everybody and then he could come grab him. So Judas uh, got 30 pieces of silver for that. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Did, had Judas already done that at this place? If you know the chronology, he had already made the deal. Matter of fact, he, he had the money. 
He'd already got the money because he got the money when he went to him. So he either had taken this money and put it somewhere or he had the money in his pocket while Jesus was washing his feet. Maybe think Jesus knew it. What you go hide from Jesus? <laughs> How much did Judas sell Jesus out for? Does anybody know? How much is that translating to in American money today? How much is 30 pieces of silver worth today? $200. For $200, he sold out his dear friend. He's, he, possibly, now, we, we don't know this. He could either put the money somewhere. He may have had the money in his robe while Jesus was down there washing his feet. You know what this is? You say, I wouldn't have done that. No, no, no. Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became a servant to people even to the point of death. All right, let's turn back to Philippians. Let's see that. Philippians 2. This is the revelation of who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, so he said, I want you to have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. He's in the very form of God, but he didn't demand to be treated equal with God. Isn't it funny? I, I know Christians who want to be treated like God. And here's God wanting to be a servant. And then he said, humble yourself, made himself of no reputation, took the form of a bond servant, verse eight, being found in appearance as a man. You do understand that Jesus borrowed that body. The Bible said he was found in appearance as a man. When was the one time during those three years when his appearance broke through? Does anybody remember? He took James, uh, Simon, and John up on a mount. And the, the Bible calls it, or some people call it the Mount of Transfiguration. But they went up on a high mountain and they said, all of a sudden, Jesus' appearance changed. And he became so brilliant. And so they just fell down before him. Well, that, that's who he was right there. But he took a body to walk on this earth. In other words, Jesus hid himself. He disguised himself. Almighty God takes a common man's body and he walks on this earth. And the Bible said he, being found in appearance as a man, verse eight, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Now, listen to me. It's one thing to go down so far that you are God Almighty, but you go down, you'll serve people. What's the only thing further down than the lowest servant that washes feet? There's got to be something further down than that. What is it? To go to the cross willingly and be crucified naked in front of your enemies. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who laid down his life for his own friends. And so Jesus is, is humbling himself. And this is a revelation of the... <clears throat> he didn't say, let's get this over with. This is him. This is, his, this is what's in his heart. Jesus is this, this is his sacrificial servant heart. I'll wash your feet if you need your feet washed. But if it takes more than that to help you, I'll die naked. I'll die humiliated for you. You, you can't get... Uh, some people fuss about people saying that Jesus was crucified naked. What, what's the big deal? What is the ultimate humiliation in the scripture? Nakedness is humility. That's his humiliation. That's why Isaiah 53 talks about him being humbled and humiliated before men. This is crazy, isn't it? God Almighty who speaks and the Son exists, he's willing to do this. What kind of attitude has he got? This is the mind of Christ. And what does he say to me? Now you let this mind be in you that was in him. I want you to adopt the same attitude. Let this heart come inside of you that was in him. And he, and he begins to, 
This is his mind. All right, now listen to this. He shifts gears here. He said, now I want you to have this heart. I want you to be like this. Let this mind be in you. He describes it in those verses. All right, now if I, if I decide to let the Spirit of God put the mind of Christ in me, what's that gonna look like in my daily life? What's that gonna look like at, at my house, where I work, my neighborhood, my sports endeavors? Surely I don't have to be, get naked and be crucified on a cross. No, no, you don't have to do that. One man did that forever, one offering for sin forever. But what's it gonna look like in my daily life if I adopt the mind of Christ or I let, I let this mind be in me? Well, he describes that in the verses above verse five where he said this. Let's look in verse two. Here, here's how you live it out on an everyday basis. Verse two, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Now watch these verses. Let nothing you do be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Once again, this is not the best translation. Uh, it's better translated like this. Let, let, let each of you esteem the other people's needs more important than your needs. Let me tell you something. There's nobody better than you. There's nobody you're better than. I'm telling you in God's eyes, he is no respecter of persons. They're no big shots, little shots. They're just people. And our society, our mindset, our culture, we, even believers can't get over this, that in our minds, there are people that are here, up here. We got people down here. Most of us are in here. But in the mind of God, there is nobody above anybody else. None. It's just, you know, you'll spend your life. We'll never get this out. This is so ingrained in our thinking as, as humans that, you know, we, we even, we rank, well, you know, that is very important and this is not that important. God doesn't understand that kind of stuff because everybody is the same in his eyes. So I'm never to think that anybody's better than me. That's not what it means, but I'm to put their needs above my needs. If, if I were to flesh out this Jesus thing, if I were to become a disciple of Jesus and flesh this out every day, does it mean I, does it mean I put on a big cross around my neck? Does it mean I carry a big Bible with me? No, no, it didn't say he did that. Let this mind be in you that was in Jesus who became a servant to people. Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, did he put other people's needs above his own? What do you think? You sure? The son of man has no place to lay his head. And every had a place. He who created the earth had no place to live. Other people had to pay his bills. What did he spend his every every day? What did he spend his day going around doing? Well, let's uh, we won't take time and look at it. Let, let's do look at it. Turn with me to Acts chapter ten. In case you're wondering what Jesus did every day. Now there was the gospels. The four gospels are just a. Let me remind you of this. John said if everything that Jesus did was written, the world couldn't contain the books. The four gospels are just a quick picture of what Jesus did. It doesn't contain anything about everything that Jesus did when he was on the earth. But every day of his life, this was what this was his, here's Jesus' daily itinerary for every day of his life, Acts 10, 38. This says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. That was the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do every day? If you can follow him through the gospels, follow his life, did he, uh, did he go to antique shops and accumulate a bunch of junk to keep at his house? Did he? How you know he didn't do that? He didn't have a house. I don't think they had antique shops back then. Uh, tell me what Jesus did every moment of his life. 
He went from person to person to person to need to need to need. Doing what? Doing good and helping all. That's all he did was just serve people. That's what Jesus did. All right. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, does that mean that I'll attend church and that I'll start wearing religious clothes and that I'll adopt religious language? What is the what is the what is the one identifying mark of a true disciple of Jesus? What is it? They're going to serve people. They live to serve people. They're just obsessed with this helping people thing. And uh, that's how it's lived out in daily life. Well, <clears throat> all right. I've got a problem with this. I can see this. Uh, you know, I can, I can see this, that the mind of Christ is that you live to serve people and you, you well, let's, we got a little bit more to read. Turn back with me to Philippians. We forgot to finish the verse there. All right, in Philippians 2, he says this. Fulfill my joy, verse 2. Be of one accord. Let nothing be done through selfishness. Dear ones, selfishness is the root of all evil. It's the root of everything in the human heart. See, a lot of Christians are proud of the fact that they don't drink whiskey. They don't go to dances. They don't use drugs. They don't run around with other people's wives. That, that's not tough. You, you cannot do all those things that churches frown on and still be a totally self-centered jerk. I, I, you know, I, can't, get, I can't get no amens out of that. Y'all must not have been to church, but you've never pastored, have you? You've never been a pastor, have you? I know people that are proud of the fact that they don't cuss and smoke and chew, but they'll stab you right in the heart. I mean, everything got to be their way, my way or the highway. They're just pure selfish. They're religious selfish. But they're selfish. It's not about your cigarettes. No, don't, don't breathe on me. If you, I'm not a, just don't breathe on me. You can never smoke cigarettes and be a self-centered jackass. Are you with me? <laughs> Full of religion. What was a, listen, the Pharisees never broke any of the rules. But they broke the greatest rule every day of their lives. And, and the scripture said, don't live your life <clears throat> me-centered. What does it mean, selfish ambition? It's all about me. I'm hungry. I want the best seat. I want the best place. I want them to do what I want. My wife don't meet my needs. This company don't deserve me. That is pure self-centeredness. It, it, there was everything, everything that we, these little sins we want to slap, they all flow out of that disease right there. Everything flows out of selfishness, out of me. Uh, you know, the, the three great people, me, me, myself, and I. He said this, let nothing be done through selfishness, Look out for other people's needs. Look in verse four. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest. Now, should we take care of our interests? Right there, it says it. Look out for your own interest. You need to comb your hair. Please, for my sake, comb your hair. You need to take care of your body. You need to have a place to live. You need to you work your job. You've you got things you need to take care of. Watch this. Look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of, what's the word? Others. Then what's verse five? This is the mind of Christ, and I want you to have this same mind. So what is, what is the, you know, we can nitpick and argue about, can Christians dance? Can they not dance? Can they listen to certain music? Can they not listen to certain music? What is the core issue? What is the real issue? Is it all about me, or is it all about serving other people too? That, that's the core issue. That's the very mind of Christ. And that's the heart of Jesus that flowed out of him. And uh, I'll tell you, a real, a, a true believer 
let me tell you how pathetic we've become in this nation in the Christian circle in this nation. We worship Christian superstars. You know, if somebody's got this great Christian singing voice and they write a lot of songs, we'll, we'll pay money and phone over them and we'll carry on about them. Or if some guy's got a gift to preach or, you know, some gift of speaking or something, well, we'll make a big deal out of them. We're missing it, we're missing it a mile and a half. You know who the real servant is? You know, you know who the star is in God's kingdom? Guess who the star is in God's kingdom? The mother who sacrificially cares for her children. She can't preach. She can't sing. You know, she's not a star. She doesn't know the Bible all that well, but she's just got a servant's heart. She just pours her heart out for her family. That's the mind of Christ. That's the heart of Jesus. You know, the guy who is an usher at his church, you know, he drives a dump truck. He's an usher at his church. He, he's not a star. He doesn't get the attention but he's just like Jesus and he's always trying to find somebody to help and serve in some little way. That's the superstar in God's kingdom. It's not the rock star preacher. It's not the rock star musician. It's not the, you ever, you ever heard this verse right here? And on that day, on that day, how many of you know there's coming a day? On that day, many who were first will be last and the last will be first. The rock stars in the Christian circles and the great, you know, Dr. Smell funguses and the, you know, the, the number one singers and all, all, the, all those stars, they, they might not be first. There can be a lot of those at the front of the line that you never heard of. They were, they were nobodies in the world's eyes, but they had the mind of Christ. They just lived to serve other people. And, uh, you know, we, we just worship gifts. We, we're obsessed with people that have got gifts. You can have spiritual gifts and be full of the devil. I mean, it's, it's not the gift. God's not impressed with you. He's not impressed with my gift. He wants to know how am I going to treat my wife when I go home tonight. He wants to know how am I going to act in the hardware store tomorrow. You know, this, this is so obnoxious that I've seen preachers who got up and preached and everybody cheered for them. They're so full of themselves. And then they go out to a restaurant and treat the waitress like crap. That, that's ungodly. See, it's not about we're, we've adopted an American superstar mentality that this is impressive. Let me tell you what impresses God when you serve people. It is, it is the heart to serve people. I got a little jacked up about that, but I think you can see it in scripture. It is the heart to serve people. Now, here's my, there's a problem though. Here's my problem. I agree with what that says. I agree that, that Jesus is the greatest servant that ever walked on the earth. And if I'm gonna be a disciple of Jesus, I'm gonna serve people. What's the problem? I've got a little problem in this thing. Though. I don't know if you have this problem or not. You just point to me. The, the problem is, I agree with the, what the word says, but I see something in me that doesn't want to serve people. I want everybody to wait on me. I want them idiots in front of me to get out of the way so I can get somewhere. Move it or lose it, lady. Where's my tea at? I've been sitting here 10 minutes. Where's the waitress at? This is the, this is where, this is follow. I have decided to follow Jesus right here. It's not what you do in front of people on the stage. It's the attitude. Let me tell you the problem me following Jesus is I got a whole lot of me left in me. That's getting in the way of me serving thee. That's a pretty good rhyme right there. The problem with becoming a servant is me. The, this, this fallen human nature that wants to be, I want everybody to look at me. I want the attention. Listen to what I got to say. I want to talk. I want to talk. Be quiet. This is what I got to say. This selfish thing about I want to be the star gets in the way. Uh, what does the Bible call it in verse three? Selfish ambition. I want everybody to hear my opinion. 
I think, I think people are so dumb, they need to do what I say. I want to be first. I want this. That is the poison of the human fallen heart that gets in the way of the mind of Christ. And uh, it's a real problem. All right, that's my one problem standing in the way. All right, now listen to me carefully. What's the answer? If, if I know that the mind of Christ is to live to serve people, but I got this thing in me that wants me to be taken care of, is the answer self-effort? Is the answer for me to try to remember to do this? No, no, that's dead religion. What's the answer? It's the Holy Spirit of God. The answer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The answer is for the Spirit of God, the heart, the Spirit that was in Jesus to come and say, listen, I'll never have the mind of Christ till I have the Spirit of Christ. That's why, let me show you something. Philippians 2. All right, beginning in verse 2 through verse 9, he told me and you this. If you want to follow me, I want you to have the attitude I had. I was God Almighty. I could have made the whole world bow down to me, but I chose to serve instead of that. And I want you to be like me. I want you to be a servant like I am. And here's the secret. Where does it all begin? It all begins in verse one. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. Then one's a believer, you can have a brand new heart. I mean, you can be born again, have the Spirit of God inside of you. But if you don't learn to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and let Jesus draw close to you, that selfishness will rule your life. I know people that you know, I've known people for so many years now because I've been doing this so many years. I knew people that 20 years ago were so tenderhearted. I mean, all they want to do is help people. They serve people. They, they were just like Jesus. But something happened over time and they become pompous, self-centered, arrogant, rude, snotty. They're still saved. They're still going to heaven. Quicker the better. That. But you know what they did? They didn't lose their salvation. They got away from the Holy Spirit of God. Only, listen, Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, the fruit's not going to be there. But as we, as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I mean, God forbid, God forbid that in the presence of Christ, I could want to be exalted when Jesus is down there washing my feet. I want people to bow down and worship me when he's down there washing my feet. That's why we have to have a, con that's why worship is so important. That's why drawing close to the Holy Spirit is so important. You know, uh, the great, the first hymn ever written years ago, Isaac Watts, still considered the greatest hymn ever written. When I survey the wondrous cross, it talks about looking at the cross and then it says, and pour contempt on all my pride. To think that, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor of a fairly large church. And y'all need to, deacons, get somebody to carry my Bible for me. Go warm my car up, bring it to the door. God, who am I? God, have mercy. And I, you know, I, I'm killing preachers tonight. If, if I had two swords, I'd stab them one at a time. I, years ago, I pastored a little Baptist church, three, 400 people. About a mile up the road from me was another Baptist preacher. He pastored a huge church, about 90, 110. And, uh, that certain group, independent Baptists, they tend to buy their pastor's automobiles. You know, Baptists will tell you, they'll give you a gas card. They'll go buy them an automobile. And uh, he found out his church was going to buy him an automobile. Well, he said, it's high time. I've been here several years. You should have done bought me one. So they bought, him an, they bought him a new Buick automobile and just gave it to him for Christmas. Here, give our pastor a new Buick. He got so angry at them because he wanted a Lincoln. 
and the two other preachers in town had Lincolns and you're going to buy me a Buick. And I thought, if you don't want the Buick, I'll take it. Just bring it. I'll be glad. I'll tell them thank you and I'll drive the sucker. Where did this hellacious attitude come from? God Almighty is washing my feet and I'm demanding to be treated like a king. Where'd this come from? This ain't Jesus. And what we've got to do is even if we're born again, we need the mind of Christ, which only comes by what? Spending time with Christ. Only by fellowshipping in the Holy Spirit can we have the mind of Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus attractive? Were multitudes drawn? Did sinners flock to Jesus? They still do. They still will. When Jesus lives in me, they'll still be attracted. And they'll be attracted to the Jesus in you. So fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit is the only thing that changes me. All right, let me quit by showing you something here in, in Philippians 2. This is the upside down logic of God. How many of you know that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts? You, you, God's logic is completely upside down from mine. And listen, let me help you all with something. I love you. I'm your pastor. Let me help you. You are never going to get him to think like you. So you need to start thinking like him because that's one of those areas we've got to change. This is the upside down logic of God. Now, my culture that I live in, the United States of America, what, what, is the, what is the message that resonates within our culture? Education, media, everywhere. What is it? That girl going somewhere. Go up. You want to go up. You want to, you want to win American Idol. You want to be a star. You, it's, okay to, it's okay to come to a church and start out in the nursery, but God knows. Get out of there as quick as you can. Get on the board. Get up there. Be somebody. The whole American mentality is go up. Be somebody. Well, Jesus just stands that on his head. What do he say in this passage right here? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, Learn to be the servant of all. He says, instead of going up, why don't you want to go down? Let me, let, me tell you what, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you a man that has the mind of Christ. Years ago, I'm pastoring a church and uh, a man showed up at my church. I happened to notice him. You know, it wasn't that big, three, 400 people. So I could see people. And I noticed this man showed up and he was sort of distinguished looking and he had a, a woman with him. I assumed it was his wife. And I noticed there for several Sundays in a row. And after about three or four Sundays, I happened to be speaking to him. I ran into him, met him at the back. And I said, hey, good to see you. I noticed you've been coming. He introduced himself. His name was Dennis. And we talked. I said, I appreciate you coming. And he was just so nice and, and just had such a sweet spirit about him. My spirit just bore witness with his spirit. And he said, look, he said, Pastor, we, we love, love it here. He said, listen, if there's anything I can ever do, if you need help washing dishes in the kitchen or, you know, just I'll help mow the grass here. If there's anything I can do to help around here, I want to do it. And I thought, well, thank you. If I need something, I'll let you know. And he went on. I asked a friend of mine, I said, do you know this guy? Who is he? Well, it turns out he was a, a big time preacher. He was a pastor of a large First Baptist church uh, in a town not far from ours. And his, his marriage had broken up. So he couldn't pastor anymore in that church. So he went and got a job. And this man had an earned doctorate. Matter of fact, he was Rick Warren's roommate in seminary. This man knew more about the Bible. I mean, he forgot more about the Bible than I'll ever know. And turned out he's one of the greatest Bible teachers I'd ever even heard. And you know, he'd pastored for years and years. And here he is coming to my church. I'm just a young guy. And he tells me, if you need help washing the dishes, I'll do it. You know what that is? So he could have said, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. So-so. I'm Dr. Smellfungus, Jr. And uh, I noticed you struggling with your Bible. I'd be glad to help you learn some of this stuff. And if you ever need somebody to fill in for you preaching, I'll do it. That wasn't, you know what his mind was? If I can ever help you, I'll wash the dishes. You know what that is? That is the mind of Christ. That is the attitude of Jesus that uh, you, you go down. That man, was, that man was up anyway. He didn't even have to go up. 
but he chose to go down. This is the mind of Jesus who was God almighty, but chose to be a servant. And so the scripture tells me this, tells you now that it's an upside down culture. Now, let me, you say, well, I can see everything you're saying in scripture now, but there's just one problem, preacher. What's the most obvious problem? If I go down, I won't be nobody. If I go down, who look out for me? Oh, we got one more verse to look at here. Verse nine. Let's read verse eight again. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What's the first word in verse nine? Therefore. You know what that means? Because you did this, God's going to do this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name. For all of eternity, the name of Jesus will be the name above every name. And there's a reason that his name is going to be exalted for all of eternity. Why was that? Because he humbled himself and became the lowest servant to humanity. That's why God raised him up. Why is this in the Bible? I mean, good for Jesus. But if this is just applies to Jesus, he didn't need to put it in the Bible for me. He told me to have this mind. Can you make the connection here? You become a servant. Watch what God does for you. You become a servant and therefore God will raise you up. And uh, here, here's the revelation. Here's the biblical revelation. There was the way up is down. In God's economy, God blesses servants and humbles superstars. When you choose to become a servant, he will raise you up. You don't have to raise yourself up. He'll do it. I, listen, I want you to see that principle in scripture. I want you to turn me to Luke uh, chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. This is the great, uh, we're so impressed with how smart somebody is, how good they can sing. We're so impressed with so many things. What's the only thing God is impressed with? His son. And the attitude that was in his son, which is a servant's heart. I don't want you to look at this. You'll have to understand the culture. There's a principle that flows all throughout the Bible and it's a message from God. Here it is. I'm just going to quote it from James 4.8. God does great things for the humble. God gives grace to the humble, but he wars against proud people. God resists the proud, but he shows great kindness to the humble. Therefore, if I want to be on the receiving end of his kindness, I need to, what's the next verse say there in, in James 4? Humble yourself. Be a servant yourself. Now watch this principle. In Luke chapter 14, verse 7, he told a parable. Right? This is a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. I got to teach you something here. He's at a wedding and a feast, or it's maybe just a regular feast. But in that day, now listen to me carefully. In that day, it's not like it is, well, it sort of is this way today. In that day, like you had a feast or a wedding and you had the long table and it was understood in that culture. And remember, this is a, our culture don't think like this publicly. We think like this privately. The more important you were, the higher at the table you sat. You understand that? Like if this is the very best seat, the most important person sits here. If this is the last seat at the table, the least important person has to go sit there. And you move up the table according to how important you are in the culture. You got it? So what does the Bible say? Jesus, now he's watching this thing. He's over, I don't know if he's against the wall or what he's doing. And he's watching these people as they come into the feast and he's watching them. What are they doing? They're jockeying for position. And they're, you know, they're, now they're not going to take the head table. Because that, that'd be pure arrogant, but they'll sure take the second seat. And you know, they're, they're, they, want a, they want a good seat because they want to be important. And Jesus is watching this. Now he's watching how the people do this. All right. Now we don't do this today, do we? 
I never understood why preachers sat on thrones on platforms in churches years ago. Get your butt down there sat in a regular chair like everybody else. What I always thought it's none of my business. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Well, I really should have. <laughs> Luke 14. And he, he noted how they chose the best places. Verse 8. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. What did Jesus say? Don't put yourself above other people. Don't take the best seat. He said this. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. What if somebody more important than you shows up and you're in his chair? What you going to do then? <laughs> oh my goodness. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. Then you begin with shame to have to get up and go to the lowest place because there's only one chair left and you down there. Do you hear what he said? Do you think he's talking about chairs here? He's talking about attitudes here. He said, if your attitude is, I'm the most important person in the room, the man in charge liable to take you to the place where you're the least important person in the room. He said, don't, don't pick the best seat when you're invited somewhere. Watch him flip here. Verse 10. But when you're invited, go sit down in what? The lowest place. What, what did Jesus say? When you walk into a room or you go somewhere, you take the lowest seat. I tell you about Dennis, the man that came to my church, great Bible teacher, far more education than I ever thought about having years. And he, what he do? He said, listen, if you need somebody to wash dishes, I'll do it. That's called taking the lowest seat. I remember years ago, um, five years ago, maybe, I don't remember, six years ago. Can't remember. One of y'all might remember. But we had a, had a men's conference and we had it over in the other building before this one was built, other auditorium at the uh, Hall River campus before this place was built. And I, uh, I heard, I was told, Frank Harrison's going to come speak. Frank Harrison's the chairman of Coca-Cola. And I thought, well, I'm a Pepsi guy, but I, that's all right. We can let Mr. Coca-Cola come. So the chairman of Coca-Cola is coming to speak. And then I got a note that said, he wants to bring his motorcycle. And he wants to ride it down the aisle in the church on a motorcycle. I said, Mr. Coca-Cola can ride whatever he wants. He can ride a helium balloon down there if he wants to. I don't care. So I thought, well, that's good. I, I, I got the chairman of Coca-Cola coming. He'll be able to help people. All right, I go over there early that morning. I'm in, I walk in the auditorium. Much nobody in there, three or four people. And uh, I was looking, I forget one of our guys I was looking for because I needed to get something. And there was this man and he was walking around in the auditorium and I didn't recognize him. And he was walking around in the auditorium picking up trash and just walking through the seats, picking up trash, putting them in his pocket, collecting trash. And uh, so I'm talking to my buddy and he said, well, Frank, Frank wants to meet you. And it was, the, it was Frank. The chairman of Coca-Cola comes to the meeting early and he's walking around in the room picking up trash. You know what most people like that do when they get to a venue? They demand you to prop their feet up in the green room and bring them a diet soda and fan them while they're sitting there. And Frank, one of the, he's one of the greatest godly men, but he is a servant at heart. And uh, he, he came here a time, flew in and went to eat dinner, brought the, a friend from Africa, went to eat dinner and I was just so, I was very impressed with Frank. He's just a common guy, but I was so impressed. Every place you go, he wants to be the servant. You know, he'll, he wants to take the lowest seat. You know, but dude owns Coca-Cola. That's the most recognized business in the entire world. Any place you go in the globe, Coca-Cola, Sempre Coca-Cola, they know what that is. But he wants to be a servant. You know what that is? That's the heart of Christ. And he's a great Christian. That's the mind of Christ. Jesus said, if you get invited somewhere, Take the lowest seat. Now, how many of you men, your favorite verse? Get ready. Y'all ready? Boys, y'all better get ready. Girls, don't do anything. Just let me talk to them. How many of you, how many of you men, your favorite verse is wives submit to your husband? 
How many of you, how do you men? That's your favorite, that's your favorite verse. Yes, sir. But I know men, that's the only verse they ever learned in their lives. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's the only one ever learned. Well, listen to me, King, it's King Jesus. It ain't King Kong, it's King Jesus. Amen. Go two verses up. That was, you didn't hear a male amen in there, did you? <laughs> Go two verses up. Husbands, love your wives and sacrifice yourself for her as Christ did the church. Amen. I have men all the time complaining. Their wives won't submit to them. And I just... I said, you one of them fell out of that tree, didn't you? <laughs> Connected with every limb on the way down. Let me tell you something. You keep the verse above it. I ain't getting no amens at all. And I'm gonna walk down amen myself. You love your wife like Christ loved the church and you sacrifice yourself for her. She'll worship the ground you walk on. I must be preaching the wrong message. Let me get back over to where I belong. You want a great marriage? Let this mind be in both of you, which was in Christ Jesus. Marriage, you know, 50-50. 50-50 is foolishness. Marriage is two people who found the mind of Christ and want to serve each other. That's a great marriage. I'm telling you, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus has got this thing figured out, y'all. <laughs> if we just let him run the show. All righty. Let me finish this. Uh, verse 10, when you're invited to a feast, go sit in the lowest place. All right, now what's going to happen if you take the lowest place? What if your attitude is, I'm not the big shot. I just want to serve in this family. I want to serve in this church. You know, I may be the CEO of this business, but I want to be the servant. What if you get the attitude that I just want to be the low one? I want to be the one to serve. What if you do that? Watch this. When you're invited, go sit, verse 10, sit in the lowest place. He who invited you comes, he'll say to you, friend, go up higher. And you'll have glory in the presence of everybody. You see the principle there? What's the principle? If you think you're somebody, the king gonna bring you down to the lowest seat. If you have the mind of Christ, you serve people, the king will bring you up. So I'm telling you, if you wanna go up, you better start going down. And if you wanna be brought down, just put yourself up. I don't want you to see a word in the next verse. Verse 11 says this, for whoever, what's the word whoever means? Every person who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. What the Bible say? You have the mind of Christ. Watch what God does in your life. You adopt the mind of Christ. You just live to serve people and you watch what Jesus does for you. You know what I'm telling you? This is a, uh, this is the, this is the, this is the biblical principle that is missing in the American church uh, that we've adopted American mindset instead of a Jesus mindset. And it is simply this. Do you want a great life? Serve people. There it is. It's that simple. If you're missing something in life, I, I saw a young girl sometime back. She's a member of my church, 30 years old maybe. And I talked to her. You know, she's married, got a great husband, got a pretty good looking baby. And you know, I mean, it's a beautiful baby. Got a good job, yada, yada. And I just saw her out in public. We said to her, I said, well, how's it going? She said, I, she said, life's a little, she said, I think I need a hobby. Life's a little flat. Then was if life is flat, you don't need a hobby. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new man. You don't need a new wool man. Whoa, man, go back home. If life is not wonderful, you need to go find somebody to help. If life is not, if you aren't being exalted, go find somebody to help. 
years ago, it never happens at this church, years ago, <laughs> I had a fellow and he got saved and he was a crackhead and a knucklehead and a beanhead and every other kind of head you can think of. He was a mess. He was on drugs. He, a friend brought him to church. He got saved. And I thought, Jesus would get back before I get you discipled. He was really boogered up. He was saved though, but he was just boogered up. You don't know what boogered up is a Hebrew word. And um, I'm, I loved him. I'm doing my best with him, trying to get him there. But I swore it was two forward, three backward with him. And uh, he, one day he was ragging about something and complaining and whining how he'd been treated. I said, Jake, I said, son, the problem is you want to be treated better than Jesus was. And that hit him like a Mack truck. And I thought, I finally found something that works here. I've never found many complaints in believers' lives that just didn't boil down to this issue right here. They just want to be treated better than Jesus was. Dear ones, let's be like him instead of wanting to be exalted. And the, and the scriptures are so clear. If you, if, you want to, if you need something in life, go find somebody to help. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to quote it again from John 13. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. This is the blessing of the Lord. I'm going to leave you with a, here's my Christmas thing. Are you ready? I, I love this passage in Philippians chapter two that shows us the picture of Christ. But I'm uh, having joy to the world. The Lord has come. By the way, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Let me tell you something. I brought tonight, I brought you good news of great joy. Why does Mr. Gallup say that American happiness is an all-time low? We've never had more stuff. We've never had more money. We've never had more communication avenues. If we got so much stuff, how come people are so unhappy? What's the obvious answer? Maybe we don't know where real happiness comes from. But I'm going to give you something to hang on to here. This is just so simple. You know what an acrostic is? Well, anyway, here's one right here. Uh, I'm going to give you the secret to life. And it's just so simple. Matter of fact, it's so simple people stumble over it. Here it is. J O Y. You want to be happy? Jesus first. You know where we're going. Others second. Yourself dead last. Dead last. <laughs> Me last. I, would you try it? Would you just try it? All right, we're going to experiment. Y'all know experiment, not experiment. Chewing gum. We're going to experiment. Y'all know what experiment is, don't you? I started to say one day. One day is not enough. We're too selfish. Look, I want you, this is Wednesday. I want you to do Thursday and Friday. Saturday. Let's do three days. You ready? You get up tomorrow morning. Give me three days of this. Pretend that you're Jesus for three days. I don't mean on his throne now. I mean like you walk. Pretend you're Jesus for three days. Don't you let anything get in your mind for three days except who can I help? Who can I help? Before I leave the house every day, I've got a little yellow pad that's got my daily agenda on it. And on the right hand bottom side of that pad, I write this. Who are three or four people I can do something for today? And I write those names down. Today, it was somebody I needed to call that's having some problems. It was somebody else I needed to send a note to. And, and let me tell you something. Along the way, you can just stumble across people. You don't even have to write it down. Well, I can't help you today. It wasn't planned. You, you don't have to worry about that. I double dog dare you. I, can I do one more thing? I have really boogered y'all up tonight. I really messed y'all up. Can we do one more thing? It's going to hurt. You ready? This is like surgery. It feels so much better when the cancer comes out. All right, let's take a survey in here. Now, I've, I've been in 3,000 private homes. I've met a lot of people in my life. Let's take a survey in here. I want you to think in your mind, do not point to anybody. 
especially if you're married to them. Don't point to anybody. I want you to think in your mind, who are, three, who are the three most, and I want you to do this, who are the three most miserable people I know? Don't, don't say their names. Don't, just think about it. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Who are the three most miserable people you know? If you can't think of three, just pick one. Let me ask you a question. Are they not also the most self-absorbed people you know? Shift gears. Who are the three happiest people you know? Who are the three people that just glow in the dark? I don't know whether they're professional, blue collar, well-educated, old, young, but I'll tell you one thing about those three people that are happiest people you know. They love to serve people. They love to serve people. I'm gonna tell you my diaper story. Here's my diaper story. I'm telling this whole thing's a mystery about happiness. All right, my wife was born, my wife is the greatest servant I know. She just, when they line us up in heaven, she'll be there in June. I won't get in until the next year. I mean, I'll be so far back in the line from her. She's just a born servant. She lives to serve. And uh, she just loves to serve people. And her, the, her joy in life is being a mother. And uh, she loved to serve. I come in one, you know, and, and when we had babies back uh, uh, 30, 20 and 30 years ago, well, we didn't have them. She actually had them. And we had these babies 20, 30 years ago. You couldn't do pampers. Had to do cloth diapers. I don't know why everybody else did pampers, but we did cloth diapers. And you couldn't just do a cloth diaper. You had to double bag them suckers. You put two cloth diapers every time. And we've never had a dryer in our house. Grandma didn't have one. I ain't gonna have one. So everything gets hung on the line. It don't matter the dead of winter. She'll go out at five in the morning. Bed sheets look like sheet metal hanging out there where they froze and just sway in the wind. <laughs> And she washed every one of them dirty diapers by hand, cloth diapers, hung them on the line. It sort of looked like, the, like a battleship coming into port, all them flags on it out there. That was our, that's how we did our young and some diapers. And uh, we took turns changing the baby's diapers. I just ain't took none of mine yet. We, we took turns. She did the large majority. On occasion, I did it. And to me, I listen, I love babies, but if he could figure out a way to send babies and not have diapers, I'd be all about that. I mean, I'll do it. One day our next door neighbor was over. She went to our church and she was a school teacher and I was whining about changing a diaper and she said, would you shut up? She said, it's nasty, but it ain't toxic. Get in there. And so I did my part and uh, I just remember thinking the whole time, I'd be glad in these young as I have these diapers and I don't have to change no more diapers. I, she's watching me right now going, when did you change? Okay. <laughs> On occasion, I think it was a Thursday I changed one. <laughs> On occasion, I would change the diaper. And I'm being a little, as she would say, overly dramatic here, but I just look forward to the day when they're out of diapers. Can I get a witness? I look forward to the day when some of my adults here get out of diapers and grow up in my church. That thrilled me right there. And uh, finally, we, get, you know, we started potty training about, I said six weeks is plenty. Let's start potty training about six weeks. <laughs> I look so forward to them getting out of diapers and uh, sure enough, the time came one was out, two was out, find a third and getting out, third and got out of diapers, got in them pull-ups and them jump-ups and them throw-ups and all that stuff. All right, I come in the house one day, I'd just come in from work, came in the house one day and she's sitting there and there's all them cloth diapers. She's got them all folded up. She's packing them in a box. Pack them in a box, throw them in a the garbage, packing them in a box. And she's putting them cloth diapers away. And I walk over and she's in the same look over there and, and there's, her, there's tears in her eyes. Well, see, I cried over diapers too, but it wasn't because we was putting them up. It was because we had to put them on. That's what made me cry. And I thought, why would a woman cry because she's putting diapers up? You know what the deal is? Servants love to serve. 
Their joy in life is serving people. The joy of Jesus' life was that he got to serve people. I mean, no, there's only one person that ever lived on this earth that could do anything he wanted to do. Tell me his name. And what did he do every day of his life? Serve people. He lived to serve people. And his food was to do the will of his father and serve people. And my sweetheart, she loved serving so much that, uh, you know, just even not even be able to do diapers anymore and serve kids like that. Just, she was sad about it. I said, well, if you wait about 40 years, you'll probably be changing mind. We'll get you back to it again. Just sit tight there. <laughs> and then worse than putting diapers up, guess what happened? Last one left home. And I'm all she's got anymore. You talk about crying on that day. But, <laughs> but just, let me tell you something. People that serve have got the sweetest, most content, happy hearts because they've learned to serve. Now, here's, here's the truth to you. Do not let the poison of this culture get in your heart, which is it's all about me. Our commercials say things like this. You deserve it. You, let me tell you something. I deserve a one-way ticket to the hottest corner of hell. That's the only thing I've ever deserved. The kindness of God has been over my life. And the God who loved me served me and cared for me and died for me. And if you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to go where he is. Amen. Amen. You let the mind of Christ be in you and pray. Pray the, Just pray this prayer all the time. <clears throat> I don't want to be an American superstar. I don't want to be one of these rockabilly American Christians. I want to be like Jesus. I want the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit, work in my life and give me the mind of Christ so I can know the joy of Jesus. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight because of your goodness. We'll always stand amazed that God so loved the world that he would give his son. And well, when you got here, instead of saying, I'm God Almighty, bow down and serve me, you went around and served people. What, what mystery is this that God would serve people? And the kind of people you serve, no, you didn't go to the palaces. You didn't go to the institutions of higher learning. You washed your enemy's feet. I'll, I'll never understand that. I can't comprehend that Almighty God would wash the man's feet who had just stabbed him in the back, got the money in his pocket. I pray we had a revelation of this is what God is like. This is the heart of God to serve people. And I confess to you my selfishness, my self-centeredness that what do I need? What do I want? What do I feel like right now? What do I wish everybody would do? What's in it for me? I confess to you my selfishness. And I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me to deliver me from myself. I long for the mind of Christ. I long to know the love of Jesus and the servant heart of Christ. And Lord Jesus, I have never been, I've never known more joy than when I was serving other people. I trust you. I pray for every person in this room and every person watching. These things are hidden from the eyes of our nation. The, the secrets of your kingdom are hidden from the eyes of our nation. Open the eyes of our hearts to the beauty of Christ. And I pray for every person in this room that they would grow into the image of Jesus and become a servant. Thank you that it, we don't have to preach crusades. We don't have to write, write great musics, music, great songs. We can just serve in the ways that you did. Wash people's feet. Hold the door for them. Listen to them. Pray with them. Get lunch for them. Those little things that, were, that made all the difference in the world, I trust you for that. I pray for every person in this room. They'll know the joy of Jesus when they walk with you. And I pray over this church. We don't want to be a superstar church. 
We don't want to be the fancy church. God forbid. We want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to be disciples of Christ. We want this, this man in this book to come alive in our lives. And we want people not to know us as stars or smart or we want people to know us as that's the man who took care of me. That's the woman who took care of me. We want to live like Jesus lived. I want to know the joy of being a disciple of Jesus. I pray that with all my heart for myself and these. And Lord Jesus, you turn the world upside down, not with 10, 12 superstars. You turn the world upside down with a handful of people that acted like you. Man, I'd love to see you do it in this city. This city is lost and needy and empty and wounded. And the glitz and the glamour is not going to do it. Only you can do it. So we pray for our city. Loose disciples into this city where people say, that's what I want right there. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. We give you all the praise and glory because of your kindness. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.